0: I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, and today with me is Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, the coordinator of pastoral care for the prisons in Gatesville, our Restorative Justice Ministry in the Diocese of Austin, and always with us, Renee Brown, licensed professional counselor, who helps us in. Uh, taking care of those who serve the incarcerated, but also for incarcerated uh, themselves. And Today, we're going to start a two-segment uh, series on mental health protective factors. And uh, Deacon Ronnie, I think you have the first question for us. Sure. R- Renee, what is meant by perfect
1: protective factors as related to mental health?
2: <clears throat> protective factors... Um... They're the things that contribute to mental health, to have good mental health. They're the things that allow a person to be resilient when they're facing different challenges. Um, And we found that people that have um, positive and good uh, protective factors tend to have a strong relationship and coping skills. And they're better able to deal with some of life's obstacles. So when you think about... Um, protective factors, they kind of fall into different categories. So it could be having good social support, um, good coping skills, having a sense of purpose, um, taking care of your physical health, um, developing healthy thinking skills, and then also having good positive self-esteem. And when people are kind of focused on these protective factors, it helps them to tune in on what they can control and what they can't control, and then it also you can build upon protective factors. So a person could have some weak protective factors. They may not may not even be addressing all the areas I just mentioned, but they can develop them and hone them in and make them better.
0: Renee, what are then some of the healthy coping skills that someone can use to promote positive mental health? And let me just throw this in there as well. As you address the healthy ones, maybe help us understand what the unhealthy ones are. Because if I'm someone who's living the incarcerated life or for our listeners who are not, I might have taken on some things that I thought were healthy coping skills, but maybe they're not so healthy as well. So if we could kind of throw those in there too.
2: So when you think about coping skills, excuse me, coping skills are the ability to manage uncomfortable emotions in a healthy way. And it's also the awareness of one's own emotions and the recognition of how they're going to influence behavior. So first, you have to be able to recognize emotions, and that can be really challenging for some people. Um, And then just knowing that our emotions contribute to our behavior. So if I'm feeling sad, um, you know, I may go in my room and shut the door and cry. You know, if I'm feeling happy, I may call my friends on the phone. So being aware of emotions um, affects behavior. When we hone in specifically on coping skills, there's a lot of positive coping skills out there. And most of them, the ones I'm going to share, they're really pretty simple. It's nothing that's tremendous. But sometimes it can be like um, just taking some deep breaths, um, thinking about something funny, um, playing sports, getting exercise, going for a walk. Um, If people like yoga, they could do that prayer, listening to music, um, taking a time out. That's a good coping skill. You know, just taking a time out. Maybe it's going to be a 10 minute time out. Do some deep breathing while you're there. Practice emptying emptying your brain. Sorry about that. Um, Being kind to yourself is a good coping skill. Talking to a friend, talking to a family member. I would say if you're going to talk to friends or family members as a coping skill, this should be somebody pretty positive. You know, negativity breeds negativity. So you need to be careful if if other people are going to be a part of your toolbox for coping skills. Um, visualizing your favorite place. And this is going to sound silly, but sometimes it's the things that we did as children that can be some of the best coping skills. So I remember as a kid, I loved to just lay out in my backyard and look up at the sky and look at the clouds and make pictures out of them. Like, what is that? And, you know, or I would lay out there and daydream about where I wanted to go. If I saw a plane flying by, where do I want to go? What do I want to see? And that just kind of takes you out of your head and all that overthinking that we tend to do. So some of those things can be some, some healthy um, coping skills. Um, reading a book, um, journaling, writing, all of those, drawing cartoons, if you like that, painting, whatever creativity that you can tap into, That that's really healthy. I have a client right now. She paints, she draws, she writes music and plays two instruments. All of that help her to cope with the things that she's experiencing. I think what happens for a lot of people, they, they get into the unhealthy coping skills. And that could be for a variety of reasons. Perhaps they weren't taught coping skills when they were young. I've said this many a time as a parent. I'm not really sure that I taught my kids coping skills. I don't know that I really thought about that, specifically a coping skill. This is what you do when life is challenging, when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling sad. I mean, I was supportive. Ma, you know, you can come talk to me. I love you. I'm here for you. But as far as teaching specific skills, I don't know that I did that, right? So I think a lot of people don't have them. And when you don't have them, you will create them or you will figure out ways. So, for example, drugs are a a way that a lot of people cope, you know. And then what starts off with, you know, marijuana use can develop into, you know, a whole drug addiction and cycle of drugs. Um, Unhealthy relationships, people will cope By getting into relationships with unhealthy people thinking that oh if I find this person that loves me you know this is going to help me I'll be able to cope with life and yet they're in a bad relationship with somebody Um, there are people who self-harm as a coping mechanism maybe they cut Um, maybe they bang their head on the wall I've heard of a lot of people doing a lot of physical injuries to themselves as a way of coping so there's a lot of negative coping Um, Anything that's going to cause you pain, that would never be a a good coping skill. Absolutely not. And then sometimes earlier when I mentioned that coping skills, having a friend or a family member that you can talk to, that's why you you have to be careful with that family member or that friend. Because if that friend or that family member is not a positive influence, then they're not really helping you cope then it, turn, it can turn into something negative that takes you into this cycle of forgetting who you are breeds negativity um, and make things, it will make things more challenging for you.
1: Renee, share with us how a person can develop a sense of purpose while incarcerated.
2: I found that to be such a great question. So I'm so excited when you guys touch on that a little later because When we think about developing a sense of purpose, we think about like meaningful involvement in work, you know, or in education or in other roles like parenting, you know, being um, in a coupleship, you know, being married. When we think about sense of purpose, we think about that involvement. And also, you know, part of purpose is understanding um, values, you know, living in accordance with our values. When you're looking at kind of something I've been studying recently, our values. So tapping into your values, knowing what's important to you is going to also help you tap into purpose. I think purpose is just that thing in life that helps you, you know, get through. What am I here for? What do I want to do? And as an as an incarcerated person, I don't know. I don't really know all the limitations that somebody's experiencing while they're in prison, but If you can find a job in prison, maybe you can take some classes in prison. I know when my daughter was incarcerated, she worked. That was one of the things that she did. And it was weed eating. And it sounds like weed eating, that maybe that sounds kind of boring or mundane, but it gave her something to do and it gave her a sense of purpose. And she was really proud of the good job that she did while she was there. I can remember visiting her and she was like, hey, did you notice the yard out there? And I, you know it's like, oh yeah and she's like mom i did the weeding out there it looks really good doesn't it i'm like yeah it looks really great that sense of purpose it's going to fill you up it's going to give you those good feelings of maybe happiness of just that involvement in life i think everybody wants to feel like they're some way involved um you know if you're taking a class in prison i know she took some classes too and those things helped drive that sense of purpose for her. And then I think you all know, you know, I would bring my grandson to visit every other weekend we were visiting. So then that helped her with parenting, even though she's distanced in those couple hours of visitation, she's engaging, you know, with her son. They're talking, they're reading, they're drawing pictures together. She's asking him questions. So once again, that speaks to that purpose of Parenting, she's involved, even though it's just two hours, a few phone calls, that she's involved with him. And so that's part of that purpose as well.
1: It sounds as if this all could be tailored around a healthy schedule to your day or uh, horarium in terms of just, I mean, they get up early in Mm -hmm. in the units. Their breakfast is between three or four in the morning and then I'm, I'm off to work or maybe off to education. But having that purpose uh, at least that sense of schedule to drive you to kind of through the day and a commitment to know that this is where I'm going to be going um, seemed to be uh, the, a very healthy way to um, to live, and not only in prison, but especially uh, outside of prison as well.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think some of those habits and routines that, and structures that you could create for yourself while incarcerated, you can take those to the outside world and, and use them there, those same skills, you know, so yes, you're getting up early and then absolutely get involved in something, whether it's education or a work program, or I'm not sure if they're allowed to do both, but that would be even better. If you can, you know, attend education classes and maybe getting some certifications in it so that when you get out, you've already got that step towards, you know, a job, which once again gives you that sense of purpose, you um, Doing all of that now is just going to set you up for success when you get out, and I think it also speaks to resiliency too. You know, when we have that purpose, then we can we can develop goals and also develop the sense of resiliency. I can ba- bounce back. I can get my life going because I have values in a sense. A purpose.
1: Well, the men and women that I see that do uh, this most successfully are the ones that begin their day with prayer. Mm. I mean, they've entered into a dialogue with God first and foremost, not with a monologue, but with listening to God speak to them, and then keeping their eyes on God through the day, so that God becomes the center of their focus. Mm. And there's going to be all this noise and and all the other stuff, but they're able to to, to dissipate that by knowing what who who they're truly. Uh, or what's driving them through their day, and that's that relationship with God. And then, and it, it just it just speaks for itself. You can see that in, in how they handle themselves, how they interact with others. Uh, it's it just, it's just really a beautiful thing to to, to 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 be able to witness.
0: Which speaks to something I wanted to ask you about. It's not one of our questions here. I just wanted to add it to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, is from all of the above that you just outlined and what Deacon Ronnie just brought up about prayer to start their day and, and enter into the to a structured life, which is what you had mentioned, it sounds to me like purpose is certainly tied to something beyond myself, that purpose doesn't begin and end with me. Purpose is an outward looking, this is the gifts that God has given me, and this is where I'm going to apply them, that that helps provide an element of purpose. Would that be accurate?
2: Oh, yes, totally. I agree with that. Yeah. You know, when I get up in the morning, I'm talking to God first thing in the morning. And so I know that he drives my purpose, my purpose. And there's I don't think two people get caught up in maybe having just one. I think we have these ideas from what we see on TV or in society. Oh, I have one purpose. Right. But but maybe God is at the core of one purpose. Think of it that way. But then he's going to help you create purpose in a variety of ways. There's going to be a purpose to family. There's going to be a purpose to job. There's going to be a purpose to friendships. But he is the guiding, if you want one thing, one mantra, so to speak, it could be, my purpose is to serve God.
1: And in serving God, you're serving others. Exactly. And so it becomes a other-centered life uh, all the way through your day, that it's not about me, uh, it, it is about others. And, that, that, yes. and that's what... That's what Christian love is, is willing the good of the other for the sake of the other. So I'm able to to do that with my family or I'm able to do that with my co-workers Mm -hmm. or do that with my friends in the break room.
0: And in so doing, you purpose yourself towards holiness as well. My purpose is to be a holy person. That's the call of of the Christian life. And I have all of these opportunities that you've just outlined, Mm -hmm. the family, the work, the self-improvement, whatever it might be. But I'm going to look at, as part of my purpose, any of those things that's going to contribute not only to my, my service to God, as you said, Deacon Ronnie, but also that creates a sense in me of a purpose towards holiness. And that's good to say out loud. I don't know that all of us every day commit ourselves to being able to say, what I am about this day is to be holy because mm-hmm. God has called me to be holy. And while I'm in prison... And if I really did do the crime that I got committed, uh, uh, convicted for, um, I might have a a great deal of struggle about my personal value, my personal worth, worth, but worse, that I have purpose, that I'm allowed to have purpose, that I get to even believe that I can strive to be holy because I've done such a terrible thing or numbers of terrible things, that that takes me out of that category. And And the response to that is, no, it doesn't. Uh, in fact, it calls you even more strongly mm-hmm. to exercise these, these principles that you're outlining for us for mental health protective factors so that I can put who I am as as a human being into the realm of the Spirit and thus strive for holiness as well. Um, to that regard, well, what are the types of social supports that a person might need to be able to improve their mental health outcomes, and give themselves a good, strong foundation for these other pursuits that we've been talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. Some of the um, social supports that were mentioned in the article that I was, that I was reading um, talked about, you know, just having that ability to talk to somebody about problem-solving. You know, and that could be a therapist. It could be a trusted friend. It could be your priest, a minister, But having a a person that you can talk to about your problems. Um, For me, my go-to was always my dad. He was that trusted person that I could go to talk about problems. The interesting thing was, I don't know that necessarily he ever told me how to solve a problem, but it was just that support that everything was going to be okay And I was going to get through it. So having some people that you feel like you can talk to and support you um, in your problem solving. And then people that you can go to to ask for some practical help. And that said, practical help, right? And so um, that doesn't mean that you're looking for this person that you can always um, dump on, get things from, get money from. This is like practical help. Maybe how do I do this? you know, you all know that my son's been incarcerated before as well. And so he's very intelligent. And so one of the things that will happen is a lot of the guys will come to him because they can't read. And they'll have him help read some of the documents for court and understand maybe some of the words that are in there because they often don't understand some of the documents that they've been given for court. So he'll help them with that. And so That's practical help. Can you help me with this? And then also, um, social support can look like feelings of love or friendship. Social support could be like, where are the places, the resources? Like sometimes it's about resources for support. So that could look like, um, you know, within the prison your your prison ministers or priests that are there maybe there's some way that you know to be able to talk to them and get some support that way if there's therapists I know the, uh, I think many of the prisons have counselors I don't know how you get counseling in prison but I'm thinking you can request it and if you can that can be a great way to get some support for your your mental health or if you need somebody to talk about like hey I miss my kids How do I parent from afar? What can I do about this? So when we talk about social support for mental health, that's what we're looking at. On the outside of the prison, it could be like, where are some, you know, locating resources for like um, affordable counseling? Where do I go for housing? So, you know, go into some of your mental health um, local agencies, like up in Dallas, they have MetroCare. Um, There's mental health hospitals. You know, if you were in Central Texas, Catholic Charities of Central Texas is there to help. They have a variety of programs to help people. And so that's what I mean by social support.
0: Let me ask this before we move on to to the next question, and i include you on this too, Deacon Ronnie. The uh, introduction of tablets into the Texas prison system. Um, I'm not familiar yet with what's available on their baseline app selection and so forth, but Renee... Would there be apps in the world, like Calm, for instance, Mm -hmm. that eventually could be agitated for to be put on these things that could provide some of that social support? And if so, what would those be?
2: Oh, I think that's an awesome idea. Because my understanding with the tablets is it's primarily so that they can um, listen to music, watch movies, and you can email, you know, I think in some places, not all of the prisons or jails do it, but you could email your family if they set up an account. I think apps on the tablets like the Calm app would be fantastic. Or even if they could figure out a way where, because so much of uh, counseling now is telehealth. In my private practice, that's what I do. I don't even have an office. It's all on the computer. It's, um, it's, and it's very convenient So if they could have something like a a better help, better help is they have an app and people can do like texting. uh, You can meet by phone or you can do video visits for counseling. I think something like that would be great to have for people. Um, And even just um, I'm trying to think there's I think there's even now a self-care app. I know we've I think we've talked about self-care before in some of these segments. Self-care is so critical, you know, and they have apps that could be on these tablets so that people could actually develop a self-care plan. Like, oh, I'm going to walk today. You know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read today. The spiritual part, I'm going to pray today. I'm going to be in contact with God, whatever it is. And they could actually use a self-care app to monitor if they're really doing everything that they need to do. The Calm app is awesome because um, with it, I think it has a lot of mindfulness pieces on there. Um, so you can do like meditations and it's, It's on the app. You can just click a button and then there's somebody guiding you through a meditation or a mindfulness activity that could be serving so many people who are incarcerated on a tablet.
1: Speak to how the church can act as a social support for incarcerated persons, Uh, help incarcerated persons develop a purpose and praying as a coping skill.
2: You know, I know for me that... Attending mass is such a, a calming thing for me. Um, if you're in prison and have access, you know, to priests, ministers and you can attend church services. I tell everybody, you know, my daughter wasn't Catholic, but she claimed she was so she could attend mass and she loved it. It was such a beautiful thing. I mean, she loved being able to do that. Um, it can give such a. Beautiful, calming peace, I think, to your day. It speaks to connection to God, being able to attend Mass, just the learning. Sometimes for me, it's just that beautiful feeling that I'm in there and I'm calm and I'm surrounded by people who are feeling the same thing that I'm feeling. You know, we're all listening to the same message. These are not my brothers and sisters, you know, know, by birth, but these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a community, so I feel so connected. I, don't, I may not even know the person's name sitting next to me because our um, parish is so large, I, I can't know everybody there. But I feel like I know the people to my left and to my right in the front of me because it's a community. And so I'm not sure of how masses work you know, in the prison, but I, I'm assuming that you're in there with multiple people, just like at a parish. And so even if you don't know that person sitting next to you, I think that feeling of connectedness can take you so many places. Daily prayer, I believe is critical. And I think learning how to pray is probably important too. It's not, I think sometimes people pray to get what they want, right? They're in there. I want this. I want that. That's not what that's about. Not all of it. I mean, part of this is adoration. You know, part of this is honoring God and thanking him and being grateful and those sorts of things. I think Uh, church, mass, all of that supports your mental health. I can look back on my own journey through life because I'm really old now. And the time when, when I joined the church, when I became Catholic, there was a huge transformation for me in my mental health. And it's so interesting to me because in the outside world, you hear so much about, oh, I feel like the Catholic church is holding me down. And there's so many rules and I've never felt that. It was interesting because I felt a sense of freedom joining the church. It felt like freedom. It, it's not so much the rules and constructs. That's not what I focus on. To me, it's, it's this connectedness to this group of people who have the same concept that we are here to serve God, to be loved by God, to adore God. Um, I, I think it does so much for your mental health. In counseling, we often don't ask people— about their religious affiliations or if they want to do the spiritual. But I find it interesting that about nine times out of 10, my clients will always say, hey, can we talk a little bit about God or spirituality? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Because for me, I think it is a core piece of everything you're going to do in your mental health. It should be at the core.
0: One of the things that came to my mind, I wanted to ask you about this, Deacon Ronnie, you know, answering the question, how can the church act as a social support for incarcerated person, and frankly for all of us, was um, sharing faith. And you had mentioned to me that in one or at least one of your units that there is now a, a structured opportunity for sh- for sharing faith, and you've seen some beautiful things come from that.
1: Yes, at, at the uh, Hughes unit we're doing on Thursday mornings, um, we're using the— um, Augustine Institute's uh, on series, but we're breaking out into small groups and working uh, table groups of about uh, six to eight men. And I think we've, we're up to about nine tables now. And they're sharing their faith. They watch this 20-minute uh, video presentation. They'll, they'll take about uh, 15, 20 minutes to talk about what they've... they've, And it's really brought this, this community together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got them sitting where... Um, it's a it's large unit, 3000 men unit, so we've got folks that are on the south side of the, of the unit, you know, not sitting with the people that they are with in their dorms They're learning, they're getting to know people from the north side of the unit. So it's just been a really good experience, not only just for community but for face-sharing, and mm. they realize that, um, you know, how so much of this is is, is important that we, we do. And you mentioned something, incidentally, about um, about rules and, and having boundaries, and I think that um, an absence of, of rules or boundaries uh, – uh, it actually is a is a form of um, enslavement, you know, mm. because we, without those protection barriers there, I mean, uh, God created us out of love, and out of love, he, there are boundaries there for us. So we don't go off the cliff. We don't get out there on our own and get into trouble. And a lot of guys are realizing that and saying that, yeah, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me.
0: I would want to say that to volunteers as well. As you come in as a volunteer, you may have a lot of ideas of what you think. Uh, inmates need to hear from you, and you're burning with a desire to share that with them. That's Those are good and holy desires. But the first layer before you get there to impart your wisdom is to listen to theirs, is to allow them to unpack for you who they are, not who you think they are. Because we get influenced by a lot of the things that we see in mass media about who the incarcerated are. And while some of that may be accurate— you're still dealing with people that are specific to who they are in the unit that you're serving. And really a good best practice is to allow this social support in your person to be a become a listening individual to the people that you mean to serve. I mean, Pope Francis mm-hmm. said that to we priests to know the smell of the sheep, meaning be around them to get a, a whiff of who they really are before you begin to discern homiletics and, and preaching uh, uh, themes and, and topics and so forth, because that's the way you know you're going to connect is by knowing the people that you're going to serve. Well, let us close today with a prayer from St. Dimphna, who is uh, the patroness of those with mental and nervous disorders. Lord our God, you graciously chose St. Dimphna as patroness of those afflicted with mental and nervous disorders. She is thus an inspiration and a symbol of charity to the thousands who ask her intercession. Please grant, Lord, through the prayers of this pure, youthful martyr, relief and consolation to all suffering such trials, and especially for those that we pray for today, our incarcerated sisters and brothers, the people who take care of them, their custodians and the corrections officers, those who manage the facilities and the volunteers who go to bring the good news brother, of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns forever and me. ever amen brother will you walk with me?